CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, May the 17th. Uh, we are doing, I, I think this is our first full-blown Q&A episode. We, we've done some, some times in the past where we've like, asked questions from people or solicited questions, but this is basically the entire uh, episode today. We, we're we're going we're gonna to answer all of your questions. Uh, I don't believe I saw any that I thought were not answer-worthy, so we're going to go piece by piece. And all three of your venerable uh, podcast personalities are going to also ask a question and have the group answer. Uh, we feel we felt like it was wrong to ask you guys to do all the work. Uh, so before we get started, let's go around and introduce everyone. Out in Fishersville, David Spence is on the show. How you doing, buddy? Doing great, Brad. Thanks for asking. Who Dave's on the board at? Who Dave's on Twitter? How about he said he's doing great? Thanks for asking. That was yeah. nice of you. <laughs> it's very cordial. Uh, and up in Arlington, Justin Ferber's also on the show. How you, how you holding up, man? All your Washington I'm teams got beat. You okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> It's fine. I'm so excited. I'm so I'm so scared. Okay, sorry. No, uh, it's not like it's new. So I mean, I can't true. exactly like try to act like it's some kind of <laughs> devastating occurrence. God. Um, but I am at under Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, and if you don't see me tweet for a while, you might want to check on me. <laughs> Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for in game updates, content items, and a nice blue check. Um, I will say too though. Poor Ferber. Like, at least I'm a LeBron guy, and he wins a championship every now and then, right? Ferber has to, like, has to cover UVA sports and be a Washington fan. That's just brutal, man. You need to give yourself a break and, like, all of a sudden. Although, didn't your soccer team win something the other day? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, It builds character, though. That's how I look at it. (laughs) It builds character. It also makes you drink a lot. Okay, so let's get into our uh, our Q and A episode. Uh, as as it that is, it's very poetic that the first question is going to come from Arden because if if he had not submitted a question, which I think is 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 uh, his question, quote unquote question post is longer than uh, most of uh, most recruiting writer stories these days. Um, but the thing uh, we're gonna I'm, I'm gonna try to read it, but without maybe reading the whole post, but. Uh, in this situation, I, I, I feel like if I don't, Arden will email me and tell me he's very upset that I didn't uh, read his entire post. So he's asking us, do we get the same feeling that he does, that the football staff has gathered some momentum and a more coherent feeling of what they need in terms of recruits and have taken their efforts up a notch as opposed to the many no-rated or two-star recruits that they went after and took commitments from in the last cycle? He says, long-winded way of asking, do you think that it's gotten better and that they may have their feet underneath them. Um, I'll start here. I, I don't. I, I, as as always with Arden's post, I, I got always got to pick. I got I got some nits to pick. First off, I don't know if. I I don't know if we should put as much um, focus on the stars, right? Because I I know we always say that coaches don't care about stars, and in some respects, that is absolutely true. They don't. If they see a kid that they think is really good, they don't care if he's a no star or a two star. Or a five star. They just if they think he's good and, and, and he would fit, they they, they they go after him. I think that's all coaches, all levels. Um, you might want to make an argument that maybe like, you know, Alabama football, Kentucky basketball, those kinds of uh, you know upper elites, they care about the rankings because they they have a certain cachet that they sort of need to to live up to. But then again, Alabama offered Jalen Jones from in twenty nineteen kid from Henrico High School, uh, which was I just kind of blew me away. Um, but anyway, back to the, the actual question. I, I don't know if I if I necessarily agree um, 
that that the star part of it is part of what maybe they've changed. I do think the one thing that's been uh, been important for them is that they've offered earlier. In this cycle, they were much more apt to 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 basically um, cast the net really wide. Before, I think they just waited too long to offer, and I think that was a little bit of a culture shock for them. Um, it's it's a it's very much a south it's a it's a this part of the country sort of thing. The Mid Atlantic region, the southeastern region, um, in those places, like you just have to offer kids. If you don't offer kids, you're just not going to be in the mix. And so I think both on top of the kids that they knew they wanted, they offered, and then they also did a lot of groundwork, I think, to evaluate. So I would say that there is some momentum. I think the difference is now what you're hearing is is you're seeing them, they're, they're ne- the, the net is wider. Uh, they have a much better feel for who those kids are, um, which is always something I think that comes with time. So maybe, maybe in some respects that was bound to happen, you know, eventually. Uh, but I don't, you know, I, I don't really think that it's too over the edge. Uh, you know, I don't think that they're, they're leaping off um, and doing something – dramatic i I genuinely think this is sort of the um the way it works i do think though that the one thing that i I think that they have changed and it's made a significant impact is uh that they've offered early how do you guys feel about that do you feel like the the football staff has a little bit more momentum and do you 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 trace that back to um to specific recruiting changes or is it just maybe this class sets up differently dave let's start with you what's your your feel on that one i don't know if there it's a little early to say there's a, a big improvement over last year um I mean, it, it's such a multi-faceted question. I mean, it's probably one you could do an entire podcast on, and we've touched on parts of it over the past two years. Um, I mean, this isn't a staff that was like, you know, coaching down the road and, and knew about Virginia. I mean, this is a staff that coached at a very unique situation in, in uh, at BYU, and rec- their recruiting model is just. I mean, I can't really think of another program in the country that would recruit like BYU does. So, I mean, it's not surprising, given the fact they came across the, the coast and or come across came across the country. Um, <laughs> I was about to say, what year, coast did they come across, the Dave? Yeah, <laughs> geography. Um, they went the real long way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not. You know, last year they they came across the country, but they also they really didn't have much knowledge about Virginia. I mean. Um, so I think this year, if anything, you know, they're not really changing what they're pitching. They're still pitching or not given and, and, you know, family first, last and always, whatever it is. Um, like, I don't, I don't know. And <laughs> I think it's just now they know Virginia better. So you're able to sell what you have better. Um, and, and that makes a difference, but you know, the momentum, the last commitment was April 23rd. We've been almost a month. I mean, I, I don't know that we can say there's a lot of momentum right now. Um, but they do seem to be getting an interest of, you know, of a higher rated recruit than they were last year. Um, but you know, the thing that continues to impress me with the staff isn't isn't necessarily the results yet on the recruiting trail. Although this year has certainly started better than last. It's unlike London and his staff, which were really good recruiters. You know, Bronco and his staff are recruiting to a model. They're recruiting to need, um, and for me. That's as important as you know, right. six five-star de- defensive backs doesn't do much for you. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Ferber, round us out on this one. Do you, feel, do you feel momentum? Do you feel it? Do you feel it in the air, Ferber? I wouldn't. I don't know if I would describe it as momentum. I would say that they're just continuing to 
I mean, they're still like like Dave said, they're still selling the same thing, and I think that's kind of part of it is they've been so consistent with their message, and and you know a lot of these kids that they've recruited for 2018, man, these years are flying by, aren't they? Um, they I think a lot of these kids for 2018, you know, they've been on that message for a cycle and a half now, I guess, since they arrived. Um, a lot of these guys they've been recruiting since, you know, they were sophomores and now juniors. Um, so I think continuing that message, you know, I don't know how much it means to a high school kid, but I think it is promising to see them not like, you know, this is a coaching staff that wasn't accustomed to losing. I think it would have been almost a bad sign if you saw them kind of blow up what they were trying to do and go another route because that might mean that they, you know, I think the fact that they kind of still believe in the message that they're selling and and they're going to, like Dave said, kind of build on the knowledge that they have of the university and like what they need roster management-wise I think that's promising. Um, it's clear that they're – I think they've also proven to be pretty um, flexible in terms of understanding – I mean, obviously, Broncos talked about this before, but they have a clear roster management plan. But at the same time, like, he's like, you know, they've realized, wow, we really need to emphasize the offensive line. And that's why you see all these offers going out. And I think that they've pushed hard for some of these um, 2018 players – on the offensive line early in the cycle to try to figure out what their class is going to look like there. Um, so I think that has kind of helped them gather some early momentum. And I mean, obviously I think that the class is very solid so far, but I think that's more from just building relationships with the right players. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and I want to put a cap on it. Uh, you know, at the end of the end of his question, uh, Arden says, "You know, let's face it that they the UVA needs a steady diet of three star guys with a sprinkling of fours in order to get back to to any kind of Welsh type of success." And I would agree with that. I think you do have to bring in talent. I do believe that that college football is in very m- many ways all about uh, talent. It's going to always be about talent. And I don't want to de I don't want to de-emphasize that they need to bring in good players. My point though is is that um, that if if a kid who has not been you know, if he hasn't properly been evaluated and he starts out as a two-star and then he uh, plays a little bit and Adam Friedman just happens to catch a couple of his games, thinks, you know, I think that kid's a three, uh, and he moves him up to a three, does that really change? I mean, the, that kid's still the same player. Uh, I think we, we – stars in, in our industry is, is a guide. It's not, a, it's, it's, it's not the end-all, be-all. And, and, look, we are human. We, you know, the mothership makes mistakes. You know, there, there, are, there are a lot of kids, you know, Jabril Peppers was a five-star, okay, but there are a lot of kids that are unranked or two-star kids who were better than that, or at least met the fact that they matched the, the system that they ultimately landed in, and they end up being, you know, NFL players. You look at the NFL draft, and you, you, will, you obviously will see the fives and the fours, but you'll see a handful of other guys too, and the reason for that is um, it's, not a, it's not meant um, to be the um, – the the entire picture, so to speak, it's just a snapshot. So, to, in terms of like what they have as a skill set, if they if they develop beyond that, hey, that's great. But that's that's sort of the point, right? They're supposed to be coached up. So, in some ways, I, I don't want you to, to I don't want to give the impression that stars don't matter. But I also don't want to give the impression that they're the only thing that matters. And I think sometimes we focus so much on that that we don't focus on, hey, here's a six foot five, two hundred and five pound player. Uh, wide receiver from from Greensboro, uh, who who would fit UVA's system perfectly as a wide receiver, might end up fitting Tech's perfectly in terms of what they do with Bucky Hodges. Uh, is he a three star? Is he a, is he a four star? Maybe sometimes where he goes and how he develops matters more than that. 
Um, next question comes from our, our buddy Grafton. Uh, he's asking if Tony Bennett is still recruiting 2018 Harb because he doesn't – so that if he, if he comes up short, um, then he, he'll still have guys uh, kind of on the board. Um, basically the idea being that he wants to <laughs> widen the net. I think Tony is recruiting. I, I don't know if you guys can necessarily answer this one, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this one my own, on my own. I, I, I don't think Tony is recruiting uh, 18 harder because he doesn't feel good about where he is with 18 kids. I do think that there is some, some sense of, of um, um, maybe some, heart, uh, some heartburn over the fact that they don't have one. Uh, if you look around the class as a whole, 2018 is just full of kids who aren't moving. I mean, a lot of them are just kind of sitting still. And that's not the way Virginia typically runs, especially when they have a big class to fill. And I do think they really want to get one piece so they can kind of build around it. But I don't think that he's continuing to evaluate because, and, and offer kids because, uh, because he's um, unsure of what the guys that he's already offered will do. I, I think he's offering kids because he continues to evaluate. Like, I've heard stories about him continuing to evaluate the players he does sign. Like, he continues to to do that up until the day that they walk on grounds. Like he's just that dude. And so he doesn't have pieces right now. So he keeps, he keeps recruiting. I don't think it, it, it's coming because he has any worry about things. I just think that he, he, he has such a wide open class. He's not entirely sure what he needs. So he just keeps evaluating and, and recruiting. And if, if he tried to crack down on, let's say pick three kids and focus on those kids and only recruit those kids and then he struck out. Well, then wouldn't you know? Then he would. It would be basically the opposite of the way he does business. The way he does business, and I, and I want to reiterate this whole bird or recruit uh, bird in hand thing. Like if you if you recruit that way, what that means is that you offer kids and then you wait until they decide. But you don't you don't hold spots. Like once they reach that 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 threshold of I'm going to offer them, you take them, and it's a it's a first come first serve kind of thing. Um, I, I don't believe that you know a kid who isn't good enough is going to get an offer. Um, just because he's a dude, you know, just because he's a dude. But I also don't think that um, once to- I think once Tony offers, he's ready to take you. Um, and certainly there are look there are uh, before folks email me or whatever, like they're going to be those situations where you look at a kid and you say, you know what, uh, we want you, but we want we need to know by X. Like those things happen, okay? Because sometimes you you have a need and you need to close it, but they're they're nowhere near that. So I, I think some of, I, I think some of folks are are so like. There is art. You're feeling exactly what the staff is feeling in some ways. Like you just want one, and you just want to, you know, you want it to hurry up and get there. Um, don't spook yourself. There's really no need for that. Um, biggest position of need in 2019. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a total flyer on this one because honestly, like I don't think you can say with an 18 class with that many spots uh, open, with none of them filled, really what the need is going to be. I will say this: you want to try to stay in, in, in the, in the, in the, at least in the hunt for Baycoat. Like you want to. You want to try to do that as much as you can. Uh, I understand he's going to be an elite, like probably top five nationally prospect, but you got to do uh, you got to do your best. Um, anything from you guys before? I mean, I figured that might be one that was better suited for me directly than necessarily the group. Um, if not, hearing hearing no objections, I'm going to move forward. Um, um, Rad twelve fifteen twenty three has a slew of basketball-specific questions, which um, I, I, I'm going to tackle as well. Um, let's see. Next big man offer in 2018, my guess is probably Forrester. He's probably closer. He was a guy I know Tony was tracking uh, in Hampton. Samuel, also a guy that they continue to track. I haven't heard much on that since Hampton. I was told that they would be involved there. I'm not sure um, what's, uh, if there's been any holdup on that or, or there just isn't enough film yet uh, on him. That sometimes can be the case. 
Um, but he might be one too that that they would really like to have one piece cemented before they they moved on because he he is a versatile sort of kid. Um, I honestly don't hear much about the Nimhard kid's injury or any like he just I I know he's a kid that Tony offered. Um, um, I I just don't I just don't hear enough about him to have any real feel for that recruitment. Um, I don't believe at this point that that Willis or or Watson. The question is about uh, Virginia's chances or impressions with Bryce Willis or, or Marcus Watson. I I I just haven't heard enough to make me think that that, that they're realistic. I, I um, at this point I, I'm going to reach out to some some sources in the next 24 hours um, for what I think are probably obvious reasons, but I, I just don't hear much about it. Now, one thing I, I do want to get into here. Um, Noah Locke, I think I'm going to skip the, the next piece and, and come back to the first one. Uh, he asked me any insight into Noah Locke's recruitment. At this point, pretty much wide open. Um, I think Virginia's gotten – feels like it's gotten pretty good traction um, so far. And uh, But, I mean, I think it's a that one's going to be probably a marathon as well as a lot of these 18 kids. But he asked, could the lack of buzz around Brandon Slater help Virginia's chances, assuming they haven't shot away from due to his so-so play? I don't think Virginia shot away from him uh, at, by any stretch. I don't know – I watched him enough to – I don't know if I would go so far as to say so-so. He Maybe he didn't take the steps forward that I was expecting. Might, that might be a nicer sort of way to say it. Um, look, if you can get a kid like that, I say don't tarry. You know, like don't, don't wait. It, it, he's, a, he's got a lot to work with. Uh, he's got a great skill set. Uh, I, I think he's got an interesting sort of um, uh, projection for the future. Um, I don't think the lack of buzz around him really changes much for him. I think the schools that are on him were always – the ones that were on him already were going to be the schools he was going to choose from. He, I don't think if, if he had played super well, if he had gone like um, Keldon Johnson, right, that if the elite schools had come in, I just don't know if they would have appealed to him. Um, he just doesn't seem like that type of kid. Uh, I, I, I still think it's going to come down to you know regional schools uh, and regional options. Um, before we uh, – before we move on to uh, Boy Blues 53's question, anybody, anything from you guys? I feel like I've been talking for a long time, and that super makes me nervous on the podcast. Um, all right, so do you do do we as a group do we think the the, the Who's will be more up tempo on offense and basketball this year and moving forward? It seems like Tony will have the offensive skill he's never had. What do you guys feel like? Do you let's let's answer this question two ways? Uh, do you think he will, and do you want him to? Dave, let's start with you. Do you think they'll be faster, and do you want him to be faster? I think they will. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to get much slower. I mean, really, if I had to bet the the over, I probably would. Um, I mean, when you've got guys like you know Kyle and DeAndre and um, you know Devin, whose shot came around so much last year, there's just going to be chances. I think there's going to be chances earlier. And and look, when you when you have to figure Ty's going to get a lot more playing time this year and. Ty wasn't shy, shy about shooting early last year. So just given the roster and given their abilities, I think we'll see quicker shots, especially, you know, quicker threes. And um, I don't know that it'll, it'll change how we run our offense. I just think that first shot, sometimes we pass up, we won't pass up as much this year. Um, and I do think it's a good thing because I think we probably, you know, we will tell, we will know for sure at the end of the year, obviously, but, on paper, this is going to be one of the best shooting teams we've ever had. What about you, Ferber? Do you do you think they will, and do you want them to? Uh, I mean, I kind of agree with Dave. They can't play much lower, so I mean, I think there's only one way to go from there. But 
I don't think they're going to play a ton faster. Uh, I think what we've seen uh, over the last few years is going to be what it's going to be. Um, I don't think that – I mean, Tony can say that he doesn't mind them playing fast, but clearly this is what they want to be. So um, now, I mean, does the way that the year ended, especially down the stretch, change the philosophy? Maybe a little bit. Um but for the most part, I think they'll still be in one. Of, they'll still be one of the slower teams in the country. Uh, I do agree with Dave's point that they have a roster that's kind of designed for more quick shots. Um, but more often than not, I think you'll see the same kind of methodical offense that you've seen in the past. Um, I'm interested to see what Nigel Johnson's impact could be as somebody that could slash to the rim and be a little bit quicker than maybe what they had with Prentice um, in the last few seasons. So that'll be interesting. But overall, I think it'll be a slightly faster version of what we saw last year. I think slightly faster is a good, uh, a good place to, to sort of peg it. Look, I, I, I think that in some ways the, the offensive talent will dictate how, how quickly shots are taken, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to increase the pace. And what I mean by that is I still believe you're going to see Nigel Johnson sort of walking the ball up. I still believe you're going to see Virginia do a thing where they don't have any problem taking that extra bit of time to gather the ball and turn – uh, and then throw the ball in, right? The, in, the the rule allows you to not, you know, it's not like the the um, the you have to rush to essentially get to the out of bounds and and, and inbound it. So I still think you're going to see some of that because that's that's I think t- Virginia's sort of way of of resting its guys, um, getting them a, 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 a just a moment to to breathe a little bit. Um, I, I don't think you're going to see them flying up and down the floor just because they have a bunch of shooters. I do think what you could see are guys taking quicker shots. And I think that you're, you're right, Ferber. Nigel plays a role in that. I think Virginia has yet to have a guy, when, when Tony Mendes the head coach of Virginia, to have a guy who could, who could create in the lane and finish at the rim the way he can. Um, now, I'm not trying to say uh, you know, that, that he's going to be um, an instant bucket getter and he's going to put up 22 a game or something. I'm just saying that his ability to get into the lane and kick is going to lead to open shots. And I think if anything... What you saw last year was guys were always looking to have better shots. I think the thing is now you're going to have those same guys, many of them, um, with more confidence and pro- a little bit greener light. You know, like there. If you think about it, think about who who the who the guys who shoot are going to be on this team next year. Now, granted, Jay and Dre are going to be new, but everybody else is going to be well. You know, there's they're going to have a fair amount of experience, and there aren't going to be a whole bunch of upperclassmen who are you know waiting to get into the game when you miss some shots. I just think that ultimately the thing I would like to see most, quite honestly, is for them to bring the ball up faster, initiate the offense quicker. I think that in some ways I understand why why they do what they do. I think that by putting pressure on the defense to defend you, you actually end up making your defense and the and the rigorousness of it uh, more of an advantage. Um, and I am curious to see how Nigel – um, sort of plays into that. This is a guy, even though he has a lot of experience, he doesn't have experience under Tony. And Tony has always kind of gone with, with whatever experience uh, dictated, right? He, he's always leaned on guys who had more experience. Here you have a kid who has that experience. You just, don't, you just weren't with him in, in the struggle. And so it'll be interesting to see how that sort of fits, uh, fits together. Uh, let's see. Next question is from... Uh, embrace the pace, starting five, and projected production. I am horrible at projected production, so I'm going to skip that. You guys can feel free to dive in. Um, I'll take Nigel Johnson, uh, Devin Hall, uh, Kyle Guy, uh, Isaiah Wilkins, 
and Mamadi Diakite. All right, mine's exactly the same. So, <laughs> I do think though that you could definitely see spots where um, where Jack Saul gets a start. I'm really curious to see how Jay and Dre sort of fit in. Um, where they are physically will be a big part of that, but I mean, I do think you're going to see them get a lot of minutes. So I don't want to make it seem otherwise, and I definitely don't want to make it seem like Ty Jerome is like some other dude um, because I could totally see him having games where they go um, more guard oriented. What about you, uh, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I think Nigel, Nigel versus Ty and Jack versus Mamadi were the real debates, and I, you know that's why I was leaning to to Nigel and and Mamadi. Um, not to skew the question, I'm a little curious how Jack's going to adjust in the new screening rules because he does kind of set that wide base. Yeah, that's when true. He sets the screen, so um, the, I just think for his athleticism and upside, it's probably going to be Mamadi. I was uh, I was totally prepared for wanting all to say that Badoshi was going to start, and I was going to like you know I'm over here asphyxiating <laughs> and stuff. Um, but yeah, I just I think that look production wise, I think I, I think Nigel, uh, Kyle, and Devin are your leading scorers. Um, you know, I think if 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 Isaiah's in that conversation, that's a good sign. Uh, my 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 inclination is that he will be a little bit further down the list. And I I honestly I could see uh, Ty also in the mix, even if he's not playing quote unquote starter minutes, even if he's playing, you know, a little bit less than those guys. Um, but I think those are your three leading scores. I think there's a question in a minute about, uh, leading scores or top three, not yet, not top three scores in next year in what order. So maybe we'll, we'll package embrace the pace question and, uh, uh, Hardy who's question as well. Um, I'll see. The next one is if Tony misses, it's from, uh, jaw. How do you say that? Jaw eight. YK. Okay. I always, I always think it says Jayhawk, but that's not what it says. In my mind, it says Jayhawk. I'm sorry. If Tony misses on the top big men, do you think he will wait until the 2019 class to get a big, given the fact that 2018 is considered weak in the post? I definitely do not. I think that's a specific need, and they've got to get one. Um, now, if, if, if there were no good big men available, I mean, it would have to be a significant, large, significantly large drop-off. Um, in order for them to skip it. I, I just don't think they're going to ride into the future with, um, with Frankie being the only quote unquote big, I, I, I do think they're going to, they're going to go get one. Um, you know, it might not be uh, a guy that we've tracked early, but it certainly, I think will be somebody, uh, after all the transfers in and out in WG one eighty two ask, do you think we ultimately came out ahead with the addition to Nadja Johnson? That's a really good question. Let me ask you guys first Ferber, Do you think Virginia's ahead? Uh, is it an addition by subtraction here? You, you took three off. You added one. How do you? Wh- where do you? Where do you fall on this one? Uh, that's tough to say. Um, that's why they pay you the big bucks, Ferber. Yeah, I don't think they're behind. I'll say it that way. Um, I don't necessarily think it's like a net loss. Uh, I mean, obviously, you, you, I don't think. There are certain players that if they had left, then then yeah, you would have probably said that. Um, but with these three and how much eligibility they had left, I, I don't see it as as being a a, a bad situation, short term or long term, really. Um, I, I think that the player that they got is someone who can really impact the offense in a way that they needed a player like that. I think um, to it, it, I mean. 
that in itself can kind of change the way your offense looks with driving kick type stuff. Um, and I, so I think overall, I wouldn't say it's like a win really, but I would say it, it's a draw at the worst. What about you, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. Uh, look, I think if you want to break it down to like, we've got one game to play and this is the roster we have, I can see it being an addition. Cause I think Nigel's going to be, you know, on a average night against you know your your average ACC team, I think what he'll bring to the team is something that Shayok and Thompson couldn't bring on a in a game where you're you're running a lot of set offense. But when you look at the course of the season, I don't know that you can say losing three guys with experience is better than you know you gain advantage by getting one guy who who maybe has more upside than either one of them. Um, I think Reuter, you can kind of say was a you know, we can understand why he left. Um, so it comes down to, for me, I'm kind of weighing him against Shayok and Thompson. Um, we talked at length last year about Shayok and how he kind of, you know, as good as he was in, in a couple games, especially you know, the first NCAA tournament game, um, he was good for our offense when our offense wasn't working, when we kind of abandoned the blocker mover and just went one-on-one. But in the blocker mover itself, the ball stuck a lot. Um, and with Thompson, it's just, you know, he experience and, and athleticism. And, you know, he was coming on at the end of the year. Um, so that's where I'll leave him. I think a push is the easiest way to say it. But um, you, you also have to add um, Badochi in there, too. So because we probably wouldn't have recruited him if we hadn't lost all three. So if you add those two, maybe it's a, we're better now. I would say that. Look, Reuter, and I don't mean any disrespect, I just don't think he was going to be a significant factor for them. So that one in and of itself I don't think moves the needle. Shayok was a guy who who could get you offense, and that was nice. Thompson was a kid, I think, who was going to be primarily your your backup ball handler. Um, I really do think that that Johnson is such a perfect fit for what they, they needed. Even if they had had those guys on the roster, like even if Thompson was on the bench and Shaq was on the bench, I still would tell you um, that 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 I would that I would rather have had Johnson. I, I get where Dave's coming from the experience angle, and I don't mean to to, to 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 diminish the importance that experience plays, but I mean I, I just think that if um, I I just think that Nigel is such a perfect sort of fit not just for what they needed but also i think for like for what they need in the global sense and what i mean by that is like if they do want to change like this 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 constant rep that they have for being slow and boring i think he's the type of player that helps you out i mean he's gonna take a lot of bumps man he's gonna get to the rack um and i think you got he's the sort, perfect sort of player when it comes to like being able to surround him with shooters like if, if darius is your point guard Let's say let's just let's just assume that for some reason Ty wasn't the point guard. Darius is your point guard. Like, do you really feel as comfortable with the the amount of shooters? I don't feel as good with him being my best on ball defender. I think Nigel has a lot of chops, and so in a way, I really do think that ultimately Virginia is uh, better off. Um, I, I think they did come out ahead, and I pro- and, and I understand it's a three to one thing. One of those guys was was really a non factor. Shaq was so up and down. Um, and and D, even DT was, I, I think he has a lot of talent. I, I don't know what was necessarily holding him back. Maybe maybe it wasn't the right fit for him. 
or something, but he just seemed like when he was really when he was really going, he was good. But like he struggled to get himself going. Like he struggled to get himself into a place where he would just go to the rack. And there were some games where man, he was he he was there, and you really and you really liked what you got from him. But um, outside of his ability to to generate steals, um, I, I just I I feel pretty good about where they are with uh, with Nigel. Um, I believe that that is the last board question. So, because we we sort of answered Hardy, who's uh, three scores uh, and in what uh, in what order? Question. Um, I guess then we can we can go to our own. Uh, Ferber, let's start with you. Um, what is your question for the group? My question for the group is, and I didn't know how far back to go, but we'll say I have a way to do it. Um, so this is football recruiting related. If you could take a player that UVA recruited and and had a legitimate chance to get or and you know recruited, I mean the player was there was a you know mutual interest, let's say, um, that's still an active college player. So even going back to the London staff, um, and a player that UVA missed on went somewhere else. Who and, and this is for this season with this roster. Like who would you want to add to this this specific 2017 football roster that you think would make the biggest impact? Dave, I'm starting with you. Oh, thanks, Brad. You're welcome. <laughs> you're the that's what that's one of the privileges that you get when you're the when you're the dude who hits record. Uh, I get to I get to be like, and hey, you go first. I mean, it's going to be a nose tackle. I'm just trying to figure out which one I would want. Um, I can give you my answer. Oh, okay, yeah, you yeah. You answer your own question. Uh, yeah, let's start there. Mine, mine's Derek Naughty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was going to be mine too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty obvious for what this team needs. I mean, there's. And I mean, he's he's a very good player too. I think he end, actually ended up being better than a lot of people thought. And and if you go back and think about that class, there were a lot of people saying that they thought he might end up being the best of that whole group. Um, he wasn't quite where he needed to be yet. I mean, Quinn was kind of like a sure thing, and and a lot of people saw Drew the same way as well. And then obviously Deshaun Hand was in that class as well. Um, so I mean, I think that he was kind of the guy people thought could emerge and. I mean, he's projected as a first-round pick next year in a lot of early mock drafts, so I think that kind of tells you where he is talent-wise. Um, and then, obviously, that's UVA's biggest need probably on the roster right now. Right. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to throw a cold cup of water on uh, recruiting rankings, okay? But sometimes, <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes we don't get it right. Like in that class, I, re- I mean, I went to these events, man, and you would have Deshaun Hand, and you'd have Andrew Brown, and you'd have Derek Noddy, and you'd have. Wyatt Teller, and you have the the kid that went to Carolina, whose name the, the, escapes me. Uh, the kid from Midland. No, 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 no. He would, well, he would be there too. There was a bunch of good defensive linemen in that class. I still yeah. think Hand is going to have a lot of. Uh, I re- I'm really curious to see where he is uh, this time next year, um, just based on maybe what he does over his senior season and where he sort of sorts where he kind of falls in the draft. But man, I Derek Noddy would be perfect. I mean, he would be perfect at least for at least for a year. Um, but then again, like in a three-four, you know, you you already had you, you did get to move Drew to defensive end. I mean, my guess is Nani would have been perfect in the middle. Um, offensively, I feel like I want to pick an offensive player. Dave, you go. I'll think of an offensive player. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you kind of stole my answer. I would have gone <clears throat> defensive line. I was trying to figure out if Jonathan Allen could have technically still been eligible this year, but I guess he couldn't have been so. Yeah, hand or naughty would have been my answer then. Um, yeah, I, I don't 
don't know how you can pick anyone other than a defense other than just making interesting podcast discussion. Well, no, I, but but <laughs> I was just thinking offensive line wise. Like there were several like um, uh, there were several offensive linemen that they missed on. You know, um, not just Wyatt in, Teller. Well, <laughs> don't, get me, don't get me started on playing him on offense. Um, there were lots of there were lots of uh, of offensive guys. You know, if you think about it. Um, guys who they could have uh, offensive linemen, excuse me, that they could have used. Uh, I'm 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 pulling up the uh, the recruiting search now, um, but like in the in the twenty in the twenty uh, what in the twenty let's say twenty fourteen class, right? Um, I'm not gonna go, you know, strictly just like five stars or whatever, but like just in the or let's say let's say twenty fifteen, maybe not twenty fourteen, maybe that's a little bit further too far back. Because uh, that's that's the hand brown class, <laughs> like Miles Garrett. No, um, but like offensive line wise, uh, if you think about that class, let me let me scroll down here and see uh, that Richmond kid, for example, Drew Richmond was a kid they were on early. Uh, remember, he went to the same high school as um, the kicker. Uh, Gary Wonderlick. Gary Wonderlick. So, you know, there was this weird. Like, that's that's the one you might want to have back now. Actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> um, you know, there were there were a lot of there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of good offensive linemen that they missed on over the course of the last few years. And look, I understand that this kid was a was a kid who grew up in Tennessee, went ended up uh, going to Tennessee. I get that, okay. But I'm just saying, like, it would have been nice to have you know a five star offensive lineman or two. Uh, somewhere um, in the class, and um, you know, I think that's a, a good example. Uh, Dave, what's your? Well, we're closing with Dave's question. Um, my, well, do we want to close with my question or your question, Dave? I don't know what your question is. Okay, <laughs> my question is. So, people were not happy with last season. I think that's fair to say, right? Nobody was. Nobody's happy with two and two and ten. Um, I think that it's safe to say that people have much higher expectations for this coming season. Um, and, I mean, if you think about if much, I mean, you know, six wins, making a bowl would be three times as many wins. So, I mean, that's a 300%, whatever. I'm not good at math. Um, what, what I want to know is how long are you willing to give this? And I, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I understand I run a message board full of UVA fans and, woe is, you know, the sky is always falling. But I'm just curious, like, Arden asked that question about momentum, and I realized that they just finished up their first season. And I don't want to get too – I don't put the cart before the horse and all the other fun cliches. But I just feel like in, in this day and age of college football, you just can't, you can't wait. If there's anything that the, that the end of the London era shows and how horrible it, this rebuild is to get off the ground, it's like you just can't wait. You have to act when you know. And – I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone. I don't want to ever say that you shouldn't give them the time to, to, to get where, you know, get the thing where they want to go. I'm just saying if you're realistically looking at the situation going when we, when you know, all right. And I think I will know if they not only, if, if Virginia doesn't improve dramatically this season, but then if that, that third season, they're in the same spot. Like I understand it's a, it's a tough rebuild, but three years in, um, I would think that you'd be able to have have some kids in your first co- couple classes who you either can coach up or can play right away. So I want to know at what point do you do you think you have to know uh, about whether or not this is going to work? And I'm again, I'm not I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I understand it's a tough job. I'm not trying to be um, whatever whatever about 
how tough it is. I'm just curious in terms of the day and age we live in or the day and age we exist in right now and the realities of this specific sport. How, when, when do you feel like you have to know? Um, before you, you, is it at the end of year two? Is it in year three, year four? Uh, and Ferber, let's start with you. Where do you feel? Where do you feel like you fall on, on that spectrum? Um, I think there's a couple different factors at play. One being like, I mean, you could base it on results. You could also base it on what you see. I think it's got to be kind of a mixture of both. And considering the schedule changes, and I think we're going to get to that, um, but. Considering the schedule changes they made and, and how winnable some of these games look um, down the road, I mean, you're going to want to see this turn into some wins. So I, I'd say, I mean, I would like to see progress this year, even if it doesn't necessarily equate to like a lot of wins. Um, and then next year, I think, would be the year where I would want to see something. Um, at that point, I mean, you've had a lot of a lot of time i mean you still haven't gotten turned the roster over completely yet but i mean you've had enough time to evaluate your strengths and weaknesses and coach players up and and uh, you know get them acclimated to the systems that they're running so i think after year you know the third year you should be able to see some progress if it still looks the same after three years you have to wonder if things are just plateauing yeah i think that's a good uh, you know what that's funny because when I, the more i thought about it i thought okay like year three of a player's career right if He's and I, what I mean by that is not necessarily technically his year three. I mean after his third year, right? If a kid is played as a freshman, you're like, okay, you know what? He's you know he's he's a freshman. You know he's this is his first. These are the first few games, first season, whatever. He's got a full spring, right? And then he comes back the next year, and you're like, all right, you, you want to see some improvement, right? Then he's got a whole off season, right? After that, that junior year is a is a make or break sort of year, right? That's the time where you decide, okay, is this kid going to be a starter or is he just going to be a dude on the team? And I feel like if you look at a coaching staff and a rebuild and all that fun stuff, like, yeah, you're not going to roll into bowl games, you know, right away. But I, what I'm talking about, like, I don't even – wins are important, but I still think it comes down to how you do what you do. You know, and, and too many times last year I thought Virginia just wasn't close. Now, they were in a lot of games, and, that, and they should deserve credit for that. But I just feel like year three, like, you better be in all the games. You know, and you better win more than you than than, than I guess be all, more often than not. You better be on the right side of it. You know, look, a team comes out, makes some plays, and they beat you. That's one thing, okay. But like, too much beating yourself is is the end is the way it ends. And I feel like that's a a good sort of barometer. Uh, Dave, what do you think? I mean, I don't know that I can say a year or win expectation, other than the fact that. If Virginia is two and ten this year with with the talent that they have on the roster, given what's been recruited last year and the last couple of years behind it, I don't know that I don't know that that means Bronco has to go. You know, obviously he's going to get more than two years, um, but that will not be a very good sign. Um, That's fair. I, That's fair. Yeah, you know, this year you've got to show improvement over last year. I I don't want to name a number, but. I think Virginia has to be flirting with bowl contention this year for me not to start questioning the staff <clears throat> um, just because of the that. schedule and and the fact that you've got two elite-level defensive players and, and enough on offense with the grad transfers to at least beat, I don't want to say half the teams on your schedule, but half the teams on your schedule. I mean, you should be able to do it. Um, 
I'll, I'll say that with a caveat, though. I mean, if they go four and eight, and I don't see any more boneheaded decisions like rotating quarterbacks, and you know the team plays more disciplined, and you see the team is trending towards something, that's different. If we're four and eight, and the coaches seem to be changing the offense every week, to like that's the kind of stuff I'm looking at. But let's be. We can throw out the second year of London. I mean, essentially, Virginia football at this point, um, even back to last year, you know, it's pretty much where Duke was when Cutcliffe took over. Um, we can pretend like it's not because we know the players and we follow it, but on the national scene and national relevance, we're no better than Duke was when when Cutcliffe took over. That's just a fact, and it's painful to say because we always joked on them, but. Um, you know, Cutcliffe took, I think it was his fifth year when he had his first winning year. Um, and he had some of the same issues that Bronco had last year. You know, a, a schedule is a little bit over their head, and we'll kind of get into that going forward. But um, I think next year, not this not this coming season, but the season after, that's going to be a tough one to win. Um, you're going to be starting a new quarterback, you know, assuming Ben Kurt starts all year, and you're losing some very good pieces on on defense. And if we don't have a winning season this year, there's, even if we do, there's probably gonna be a few more roster changes, you know, as as the staff continues to implement. So it's hard for me to say it's what you see on the field. Um, although I, with, with the caveat that if they do not win this year, I don't see how Bronco wins soon enough to, to keep his job. Um, that all said, I think we all as fans should realize and maybe I'm guilty as someone on a podcast who's picked him to go to a bowl for like the last 12 years straight. Um, There's a lot of problems at Virginia and it, it wasn't just on the field. It was just lack of support institutionally all the way down to, you know, you know, the stuff you don't see every day, the stuff that matters nine months of the year when they're not playing um, that Bronco is doing a very good job of rebuilding. And we've talked about this on air and off air. I mean, if Bronco doesn't succeed, he's putting the program in a place, even at this point, I'm confident to say it, he's putting the program at the place where the guy after him will. You know, that's a really, really good point um, that I had not necessarily considered. He will, even if it doesn't work out, they'll be in a much better spot. Um, but I think part of part of maybe why our um, our expectations or whatever you want to de- how you however you want to describe them maybe one of the reasons we think what we think is because the schedules are better and spoiler alert uh, as Ferber's <laughs> mentioned and as Dave has referenced I think Dave's question is going to be about scheduling I'm just going to go out on a limb Dave what's your question It's basketball and I'm just joking um, you know you know we get we got news this week of uh, you know Liberty kind of. We're playing Liberty next year, replacing ODU is getting pushed back a year. So <clears throat> just talking the next two years, um, and you've gone to 2020, it's not much better. Um, but next year, even this year, you could talk about, I guess. I mean, there's not, this isn't a super tough out of conference schedule compared to what we played in the past, but specifically 2018, 2019. 2018, we're playing Richmond at home, Ohio at home, Liberty at home, and going to Indiana. Um, and then 2019, we're, at Notre Dame as scheduled by the conference. But then we have at this point, I think there's a chance it might change, but who knows William and Mary old dominion and Liberty at home. So, um, you know, my question is like, we complain so much during, you know, as I don't know if it was complaints, but 
you know, oh, excuse was, making, was, whatever it might it be. It was complaints. No, it was complaints. Yeah, I was complaining. But, you know, we, we scheduled Oregon, USC, all these teams we scheduled. Um, now seeing what we then talked about as being something we should be scheduling, how do we feel about it? I mean, we were kind of talking like, how how hard is it going to be to sell a season ticket for 2018 when you got your three out-of-conference games of Richmond, Ohio, and Liberty um, and Tex away? Like, how do we feel about it? Now that we've gotten what we wish for, I guess is what, what would, I'm going for. I will answer it this way. I think that season ticket sales. Let me back up. And I'm, I, it's we we're 48 minutes or in change into this thing. <sighs> Planning your schedule for your team based on season ticket sales is not quite as bad of an idea as playing quarterbacks on alternating plays but it ain't that far off i just think that i i understand all right look we're gonna have one marquee at a conference opponent um what some years that's gonna be away some year and that's good for the program well, okay that's cool but like the the schedule th- the schedule should not ever res- and i look i get it but like it should never be decided by based on what like on like you know what you know what people come to games to see your team win if you want to win, you got to do the things required to win. It's not you're not going to get like some odd like hand from the sky that just says, you know what? Here are all these people to watch you lose to one double A teams. You know what I'm saying? Like I get the idea that like, hey, I, this out of conference schedule ain't that fun. But you know what is fun? Winning games, being putting a, a winner on the field, being able to have guys um, not. I, I, and look, I'm, I'm like so many sentence fragments. I'm killing myself. But, like, over the years, if they had dialed it back, like, 30%, right? If you, in, in some of those seasons when they were playing multiple really good teams, if they had played, like, one really good team, they would have been to a bowl game here or there. They absolutely would have. Um, you, can, you can look at some of these, time, some of these, some of these seasons and, and point to a game and say, everything changed here, you know? And, like, I, they were they – were, they, I understand – the thought process of wanting to play against the best. Um, but they saddled Mike London with a schedule that literally I, I just, I, I know in my heart he didn't want. He may have said all the right things. Man, he didn't want that. I think this is a nice change. I, I think it's the right change. It's the right decision. And, uh, and I guess we'll sort of see where it goes. Uh, Ferber, what about you? How do you, how do you feel about uh, this whole uh, schedule question that Dave has dropped on us um yeah I mean it's just funny because you you hear people complain that they're too hard and now you hear people complain that nobody wants to go to the game so it's kind of like I understand there's a middle ground but I think that this is fine I understand why why they're doing it um because it gives you a competitive you know chance at a bowl game where I mean, it's basically you're just punishing yourself by playing in a harder out of conference schedule unless you're looking at ticket revenue and, and fan interest. But the fans aren't going to be that interested if you keep going 4-8. and eight. Um, If you get to a bowl game, at least maybe you pique some people's interest. Like, oh, they're starting to turn things around. Um, and it kind of creates a snowball effect. Um, 
it's not like college basketball where you're not going to make the tournament because you didn't schedule enough teams. So yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Like the downside isn't really there. Yeah, like what's the worst that can happen? You're Duke, okay? Yep. Like, and you know what Duke is doing right now? Like they're not, they're not bowling. They're, yeah, they're going to bowl games. <laughs> yeah. They're recruiting it's not well. Like, like criticizing them for it. Right, and 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 the and the downside. What's yeah? What you're, you're right. What's the downside? The downside is like you beat a bunch of mediocre teams, and people make fun of you for having game for having a, a, a uh, an inflated cupcake schedule. Okay. Well, people don't. Yeah, people made fun of UVA for scheduling over their heads too. So I mean, who cares? And it's still a joke. And you know what else they make fun of you for? Winning two games a season. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I understand I'm a little bit biased in this because my my wallet directly is related to how many wins Virginia puts on the board, right? And so if they want to schedule a whole bunch of nobodies and win 10 games, I'm all about it. All right? But at the same time, like I understand there ha- I think there has to be a balance. I think this is my this is this is my whole scheduling motto. I, I think at the time I remember posting about these and saying, "Look, you're going to play really good teams. You're going to have to beat really good teams." That's somewhat true. I was wrong, though. Realistically, it's like Ferber said, there's no downside to playing teams that you can play and that you can beat and go into a bowl game. And Reeking, you know, reaping in whatever, you know, raking in whatever revenue you, you can get from it. Now, it also sucks if you're a horrible team. Uh, you played a bunch of nobodies. You managed to uh, to inflate your schedule, inflate your record enough, and you go to a bowl game. You get plastered, right? But realistically, like the way the ACC like has gone in terms of football, like even if you scheduled some out of conference games that were pretty easy, you're still gonna have to win a few in conference too, and you're probably gonna have to beat some at least pretty good teams. I mean, if you think about the bowl situation is, is, is sort of a joke because of how many teams can go. But man, like if you're winning eight games a year, you're still beating some good teams. You're not beating you're not only you're not winning eight games a year or seven games a year because you played a, a really crappy out of conference schedule. What you're probably doing is is you're you're getting the benefit, which I think is the a big benefit, of having that extra practice of of having that sense of success and being able to build on something. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like we look back on that USC game a few years ago and say, "Wow, we had a really nice crowd." <laughs> you know? Yeah, we we got our butts stomped. I mean, um, same with Oregon. I mean, look, playing over your head, it's great for that week. You're like, "Oh, look, the fan, the crowd looks really pretty on TV." Well, guess by the third quarter when it's empty because you're getting <laughs> your butts kicked, yeah. does it really matter? On ABC um, nationally. <laughs> yeah, and you may get some. Look, uh, you might. We play. Look, Liberty, believe it or not, the Liberty game is going to be pretty packed. I mean, they've got a huge alumni base. But um, Ohio, for instance, let's say there's not enough fans in the stands. You're going to be dealing with a few Twitter jokes and a few comments about the crowd. But if you win that game, when you go back to look on the season, you're not going to remember, oh, we want to beat Ohio. But remember, there's only 40,000, 30,000 people there. Right. Like, who yeah. cares? That's like, true. Honestly, the I way mean, that's it how works. Many, that's how many people are coming to the ACC games anyway. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like it's a Virginia issue. I mean, look, Tech is going to joke on you because they think they're the biggest draw in the in the country. Um, but who cares? Like, they're joking on you now because you're not drawing and you're losing. So yep, <laughs> that's right. Um, but yeah, it's it's making bowls. You've got to make bowls. And who ca- Like you mentioned, you know, you know, unless you go, I don't care if you get blown out in a bowl game because guess what? You get three to four weeks of media coverage about having a bowl game, and the only people going to remember the results of the bowl game are your, your rivals. Yeah. I can't tell you who, who won or lost a bowl game. I can just tell you who was in them. That's true. Yeah. Making the bowls. And we just and, need to be there. Yeah, making the bowls is, is the biggest thing. Um, 
You know, I think we we had a we had a we had a Q and A podcast that, in, that didn't get into schedules until we brought it up, um, which <laughs> says a lot about where the fan base is right now. Because not that long ago, a Q and A podcast would have been all about schedules. Um, I'm pretty sure there was only one question football related to. That's so. true. That says a lot, um, which is not good this time of year because it's largely football that I'm I'm, yeah. re- I'm really writing about. Uh, but yeah, I want to thank everybody out there for submitting your questions. Uh, I think we we should do this um, pretty regularly. Um, not every week because that would be weird, but you know, on a fairly regular basis. Uh, we're at that time of year where we we the spot the podcast will be a little bit more sporadic because some weeks there is not a whole terrible a lot to talk about. Um, but we will definitely do these uh, in the future. I, I really appreciate everybody uh, in the thread who dropped the questions. And if you had some um, and you didn't, uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to to, to submit those next time um, via either you know posting to the thread or maybe emailing me, however you want to do it. Uh, I want to thank Justin and Dave for, for being on the show. As always, thank you very much for giving me some of your time on a, on a Wednesday night. And uh, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the podcast. Really, really appreciate uh, all of the um, all of the listens and, and fun things uh, that you sometimes say about the podcast. Uh, comments are always welcome. Email is always open. For uh, David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.